Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The award-winning Crunch Time. to the behind post Ooh, and favours Walker grabs it out of the rock snaps goals gives to the run of Andrews from outside 50 hammers it home the defender the goal scorer McCarthy at the front of the pack got the crumbs on his left spins it towards goal it's bouncing it's bouncing oh. it's home takes a mark got rid of Farrah gives the handball on ball goes into the top of the square and Haywood with superior body use red to drop of the footy Collins knows he should have done better Haywood swings around and kicks two in a minute. <laughs> yep, there was another game on in Brisbane yesterday and it was the Lions holding off a fast-finishing Crows. The Swans make it five in a row. Finals now more than a possibility after being as low as 17th in round 15. Martin gave it straight to Luke Davies. Uniac finds a way to step through as he so often does. He returns the favour to Cunningham. Listen to this. It evades Langford, not so Menzi, was able to work it on a very acute angle from a very close range. Handball's back to Snelling, wasn't claimed properly in the Mackay tackle. He got it to Parrish in a whole lot of space with Sardis. And Elijah Sardis gets his first AFL goal. Again, Foley back at the flight, knocked it down, taken by Schultz. And he's kicked it with the left and kicked the goal. And I'm not sure he was having a shot. Williams up over the top, well done by Jackson. Erasmus tackled strongly. Brayshaw gets it away to Young. Quick kick inside 50. Cole searching front spot. O'Meara muscled him out and slams home the goal. 15 goals in a row. The Bombers were unconvincing for a second week in a row as the Roos farewelled a much-loved midfielder. The Dockers saluting in their biggest ever derby win. Cripps inside 50 on the chest, Charlie! And an 18-point lead, he kicks from outside 50. Charlie Curno may have just kicked him into a final series. Plays on, kicks to the forward pocket now. Mark's taken! Joel Smith, slow, steady builder, comes in, kicks now. It's bending back. Oh, Oh, yeah! Petrarca is 60 from home. Wheels! Petrarca, set sail! Oh, Mine, no! You are kidding! Uh, I think he's touched this. He has, yeah. He's touched Caleb it. March. Caleb Marchbank. Like Diego Maradona with the hand <laughs> of God. The Blues confirm they're the hottest team in the league. Eight wins on the trot as the D's forward experiment with Brody Grundy hits another snag. Vicky Besho is next up, the teenager for France, 19 years of age from the capital against Mackenzie Arnold. Right foot misses. It comes off the post and it's away. And now it's Courtney Vine at her first World Cup, the speedster to send Australia into the semi finals. Looks cool. Vine scores. 
and Australia are into the semi-finals. Courtney Vine has done it. Australia, a mighty victory. And the Matildas are scaling new heights. They are into the world's final four. They win on penalties. An historic night for Australia. The Matildas' journey continues with an epic penalty shootout, the longest in World Cup history. And you better believe it's going to be high on our agenda today. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Welcome to the round 22 edition of Sunday Crunch Time. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas. I cannot wipe the smile off my face from last night. Our special guest this hour will be Channel 7 football commentator Adam Peacock. Hawks assistant Adrian Hickmott will always also join us, I should say. And Don's forward Peter Wright to join us after 12. Tom, I'm a Cheshire cat this morning, <laughs> as are you. What a night. Sarah, it's f- so rare at the age of 32 that you have <laughs> genuine national pride and goosebumps about a sporting event. I didn't really have it for the Ashes, okay. but for the FIFA Men's World Cup, when we got out of the group stage, and last night, it was a feeling that I haven't had probably since 2006 in the FIFA World Cup. It was unbelievable last night and I'm so proud of those girls and I hope we, we can beat in England but I've got to say Sydney have won five in a row and I've, I've known you for a long time now I have never seen you walk <laughs> into a room as happy as you did this morning I'm pumped I don't know what last night did but it's fully transcended me I was on the couch with my husband my sister and my friend Liam and you know, I had the, the blanket over my head. I couldn't watch. <laughs> yeah. I was p- playing, you know, jinxy cat with myself. I had to be in the exact same spot that I've been in for every game, Scotty. Sport does weird things to you, doesn't it? Jinxy cat. Yeah, jinxy cat. <laughs> now, are you a soccer fan or how is your interest in the yeah. game growing? So I, I get around the national yes. team. So yep. I get around the soccer roos and I get around the Matildas. Mm. And I feel like... Everyone is getting around oh. the Matildas. Like, I've got a girlfriend who is so disinterested in sport, and she's texting me about yeah. all the Matildas. She knows every fact about Isn't that, them. That's a great thing. Yeah. yeah. And once again, it highlights the importance of sport in our psyche. Yep. But bringing people together. Yeah. I, I watched the Lionesses win the Euro ch- uh, Championship in, I think it was July last year, and I watched every minute of that game. And I remember thinking to myself, I feel guilty that I haven't watched women's soccer before. And I feel even more guilty now. The Matildas are household names now. And where have they been for the last few years? We haven't known them. Us football fans and people that haven't taken enough notice. I just hope this can springboard the female uh, side of the game into a new echelon. It was so exciting last night. Well, it adds another layer. And if we look back, uh, and I'm a cricket fan more so than a soccer fan. And the enjoyment I got out of the T20 World Cup, the females at the MCG. Yeah, it was great. I think it was the biggest sporting crowd for a female. So we're starting to see the importance it has uh, for women's sport, but the community in general, which is great. They're starting to get where they sh- – it's starting to get to where it should. Yep. And we can look forward – we can look back or we can just look forward and, and look on with a sense of optimism of where it can get to. But just, it was a great night. I was at a basketball game and everyone's phone there – there would have been – Maybe a thousand people. I reckon there's about fifty phones going. Yeah. But there was about a six second window where everyone's and my wife was a row in front and she was at two seconds in me and as she would smarty pants would turn around and 
go in or out. Yeah, yeah. You don't go thanks. <laughs> but they're all and the cheers yeah. and the size would all be timed. It was just a great thing to see that we're at a basketball game and that so many different people yeah. were engaged in it. It was outstanding. Well, someone who had a front row seat to all the action last night was Channel 7 football commentator Adam Peacock. He's been good enough to join us. Adam, welcome to Sunday Crunch Time. Uh, good morning. How are you? Oh, how are you? I mean, did you get any sleep last <laughs> night? The adrenaline in that stadium was wild. Oh, a couple of tequilas. Uh, were, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of brought things back down to uh, down to earth. It made me um, get a, a good couple of hours sleep. But that, I woke up this morning and thought that it was one of those moments. And we've all probably been through it with whatever sporting poison we love so much. And you wake up the morning after seeing something so amazing, you go, hang on a minute. <laughs> you take a couple of breaths and you think, did that actually happen? And that's what it felt like about last night. Um, obviously, covering football for a very long time and, and witnessing, it, it, it almost feels like you're in an alternate universe, watching people celebrate on AFL and NRL concourses while games are actually going on and the whole country stopping. I'm getting messages from my daughter's dance at Bedford and they stopped <laughs> at Bedford. Everyone's watching backstage on phones. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a where were you moment, absolutely. Adam, Tom Morris here. Thanks for joining us. I loved your article on Code Sports. I've just read it, and it's um, it really paints a great picture about what it was like to be in the stadium. I saw a tweet from Veronica Eggleton last night who said that the uh, Matildas match the decibels of the crowd noise hmm. was 123.8, and the loudest state of origin match at that same venue was 122.2. Can you compare last night's atmosphere to any other sporting event you've been to? And I know you've been to Wimbledon several times as well. Yeah, yeah. I've been to a few. Like one of the loudest ones I heard was at the US Open, actually, when Roger Federer took a set off Novak Djokovic and there was 20,000 people going nuts because no one liked Djokovic. But this was a this was something else. There was a moment late in the game where Steph Catley came over to take a penalty and it started in one corner. Everyone just stood up and started roaring. And then the rest of the, rest of the stadium did exactly the same. And within 20 seconds, you've got 50,000 people yelling their lungs out, every single one of them, and going absolutely bonkers because they're trying to will this team over the line. It was it was a surreal feeling. And, like, it was one of those, when you, you know, when you you feel like your, your eardrums are rattling and you're you mm. kind of, a, yeah, it's, it's distorting your sound. Um, that happened on a couple of occasions when Sam Kerr came on, when we had a couple of chances, and then with that late moment there. And then, of course, then Courtney Vine flooded home that last penalty. It was, uh, it was all about the same, and I was... Great win, Adam. How do you uh, assess the performance overall as we look forward to England on Wednesday? Yeah, and that's that's the tricky thing because everyone, like everyone's, all smiling this morning about the the moment. But there's another one. Like this is the third of potentially five hurdles after they uh, the little mishap against Nigeria. The the Canada game felt like a well, it was a must win, and then obviously the knockout stages become must win, and, and this. This third stage was like just such an emotional high. So, yeah, they'll have to. I'm sure the coaching staff. Look, firstly, the players who he hasn't used a lot of subs, Tony Gustafsson. I don't think they'll train a proper session before Wednesday. They'll they'll do a lot of light running and maybe a bit of technical work, but a lot of recovery and ice baths are going to be the thing. Or whatever they do these days. So, um, I think the the performance was actually really good. I, I actually rated the performance because France were a very good opponent. So it was to negotiate that was was well done. And it wasn't as if they batted us or we batted them. It was dead even. I think late in the game, it was 16 uh, shots at goal apiece. 
um, whether or not they're on target or not. So on another day, Mary Fowler scored three. So I think the performance was pretty good, but there's, there's things to worry about in terms of physical output so far. Adam, we've uh, been an AFL show. We've got an AFL listener. So I reckon we'll have a lot of Matildas supporters, perhaps not uh, expert soccer or football uh, followers. Yep. How, how do we look going into this game against England? How have they gone in their games, history and so forth? How does this game shape up for the Matildas and their chances? From what I've seen of England so far, pretty well. Um, it's evenly matched. Like last night, we're just still getting our head around the fact that we're, we are a match for every team in the world when it comes to football. Um, this, is a, this is an outstanding group of players. It is... It's not a golden generation; it's a platinum generation. So, mm. it, it any team we come up against, we've got as much threat as they do. It's not this subservient sort like we have in football. Occasionally, oh, the rest of the world are good at it, and we're just along for the ride. It, that's not the case here. That every nation left in this in this wonderful World Cup, but Spain, Sweden, on the other side of the ditch, they play the semi on Tuesday or England. They recognise Australia as a as a world world class team and getting better all the time as this World Cup goes on because Sam Kerr's getting up to speed. So, yeah, I, England the matchup we beat them in April over there and it was a counter attacking based win, um, two two goals off of counter attack, blistering counter attack. We can hurt them in that regard. And England don't look fluid in an attacking sense. They're hard to break down, but they don't look particularly fluid. So the matchup's pretty good. We're speaking to Channel 7 football commentator Adam Peacock. Adam, one of the household names throughout this tournament has been Mary Fowler. I mean, even in my house, my husband went for a run the other day and he was so cold he put gloves on and he said to me, look, I'm like Mary Fowler. So that's the impact that these women are having on this country. Just what kind of talent is Mary Fowler? And is it a stretch to say that perhaps she will be our best player? You know, you know it's really taking effect if he goes for a run with a Hayley Russo. Really. <laughs> <laughs> He's really. bald, so that would be unusual. <laughs> <laughs> well, around his head. I can appreciate that sentiment as well. All purging on it. Um, with um, Mary Fowler, yeah, she's a special talent. She's a generational talent in terms of, you even saw her last night, she didn't have the easiest time of it because France had a really good plan for her. And I, I didn't like the way that we used her in the first half in, in pushing her out wide to try and get her on the ball. Um, but she still had this ability to get on the ball and bring other players into play. Um, she's the type of player who can break a game open by herself or assist someone else to do just that. And, yeah, I, I don't know where she lands, where she ends, but it, the potential you can't put a ceiling on in terms of what she'll end up being. Like, she's 20. Mm. Like, in her peak's not to be meant to be not the next World Cup, but the one after. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she's an amazing talent and one we'll enjoy watching for uh, over a decade to come. And I loved her penalty as well. Hard in the bottom left. So the, much poise the and goal, power. The goalkeeper had absolutely no chance. Adam, if we can take a step a back. Right Sorry, go on. Oh, and a right foot. I thought she was left-footed. <laughs> <laughs> Ambidextrous. Hey, um, if we can take a, take a step back for a second, uh, I hope I'm not being swept up in it too much, but I feel like we are two wins away from this generation's Kathy Freeman moment. Do you have that same sentiment? Yeah. Yeah, well, I got a lot of messages um, last night and a couple from people inside the camp, and they were saying that the, the, the feeling before it, and they had Kathy in down in Melbourne um, in to, to see them and talk to them and greet them and, and, and welcome Kathy, obviously, that uh, they, the group wanted a Kathy Freeman moment at some stage during this tournament. 
and it, the feeling out of last night was that might have been it. <laughs> now, I hope it wasn't it. I hope they're not regarding that as the Cathy Freeman moment. Hopefully just the semi-final win, if you know what I mean, of Cathy before stepping out in the 400 final in 2000. But yeah, it, it, it felt that big last night. And, and that's why this is different. And that's why it, it's hard to, to frame. It's, it's hard to put next to something else and compare because it is so unusual. It, it, it is so unique, I should say, not unusual, unique. So it, it is likened to the Cathy Freeman um, storyline. And that's what we like to do in the media is kind of try and pin it to yeah. something that we've seen before. But I'm really struggling to even compare it to that. It, it it does feel like it when you're inside the stadium that this is once in a, yeah, we'll, we'll forever talk about this, like we with Cathy's, Cathy's win. So I guess that's the comparison, if there is one to make. Will Sam Kerr start against England? I think she will. I think she looked really good last night, I, I, like physically. Like her touch was a bit off, but she's a bit rusty. But I, she worried the living bejesus out of uh, the French defenders. And even... Even though it didn't look like she didn't do much, I was watching her runs off the ball. She was just making making life completely uncomfortable for them. So if she gets through physically, um, spoke to her after, she felt fine. She didn't. She was pretty tired, <laughs> which is fair enough. She hasn't played that high intensity football seventy minutes worth in a very long time. I, I, I think she starts this time. I think she's ready. Penalty shootouts, Adam, are just full of drama. And last night we saw the longest ever penalty shootout at a World Cup. I rewatched it this morning. It went for 20 minutes. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Diabolical. Yeah. It was diabolical watching. Like, just the, the, it just sent your guts <laughs> twisting and turning. And, oh, it was, yeah, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. What does it say about the mental resilience and fortitude of Mackenzie Arnold, who had the opportunity to win the match, she misses, and she has to go back then and, and keep saving penalties? Yeah, and then she saves one, and then she gets told, no, that was illegal. So yeah. you have to do it again, and then it goes in. It, it's the ultimate live-in-the-moment um, situation for a keeper. And keeper keepers are unique specimens. Um, I sat next to one for a very long time at Fox Sports in Mark Bosnich. So, <laughs> um, you need like, to say the um, least, Adam. Yeah, but, you know, but that they think differently. That they they react differently. That's what makes them. That's what made Bozza the player he was, uh, and that's what made Mackenzie Arnold's moment. It's just you completely wipe away what just happened. Um, hard to do, and it, because there's so much thinking time in between. It's not like um, a footy player who you know misses a set shot right in front and then has to kind of think about it for the next two minutes. No, the game goes on. You've got your job. You've got your responsibilities. You're back into it. But, yeah, the, the Mackenzie Arnold, how she was able to to um, to get that around her head and, and, and stay in the moment was quite incredible. Adam, we can't mention Mackenzie Arnold without mentioning Courtney Vine mm-hmm. and her ability to step up to the plate, having had opportunities to close out the game with that added pressure and the build-up and being able to nail it. Yeah, and you, you're number 10 and 11 for a reason as well. Yeah. Um, it's because either you're not confident or the coach is not confident that you're, you're one of the better ones to take one. And, and she, she played it really well. You have a look at her, her body language. She's just like really focused on the process of what she had to do. She didn't, her eyes didn't divert anywhere. She looked at the back of the ball. She looked at the, the, the goal quickly. And then she went back to the back of the ball and just concentrated. And it wasn't a spectacular penalty. It was more a pass into the net. She didn't try to blast it, but it was perfectly done, perfectly managed by her own mind. I'm going to ask a silly question, Adam. How do they determine the order? Is it 
is it something that they would have done at training where they have a competition? Is it just general feel on who are the players that strike and general ball use? How is that figured out? I, I get the feeling last night it was figured out by the coaching staff because Mackenzie Arnold got told she was number five, not, mm. oh, Mackenzie, do you want to be number five? So yeah. that, that's a bit of a difference. But usually you'll have five or six that'll say, yes, I want to take one. And then you'll have a couple kind of pretend to walk off and try and find a drink bottle that isn't there about 50 metres away because they've got <laughs> no no inclination whatsoever to put their hand up. So, yeah, I, I, the coaching staff would, would do it and they would have practised it through the week. Um, Tony Gustafsson's big about detail. So, yeah, he would have had a, a fair idea what his order was. And, yeah, they, they went up and, and did what they did. And the French swapping their keeper, is that that they would feel the keeper is better at defending penalties or perhaps a, fa- a fatigue issue with the original keeper? How would that have been determined? No, that's definitely down to uh, the, the, the keeper best to save penalties. It wouldn't matter because the, the French keeper had a pretty good game. So she would have felt confident about doing what she needed to do. But they've obviously seen something in training where the keeper that came on is much more adept at, um, at saving uh, penalties. Because some keepers are, are great in, in the game with their feet, distribution, um, organisation from set pieces and shot stopping. They're the main factors of the goalkeeper. Some keepers are better shot stoppers than others. And obviously you swap them out. Andrew Redmayne, perfect example. Mm. They, they did a Redmayne, only this time it didn't come off. Yeah, absolutely. And probably good for us it didn't come off as well. And the French <laughs> keeper was fired up when she got subbed off as well. Adam, um, this is going to have a huge effect on Australian football in the short term. Probably hard to quantify exactly what effect it's going to have in 10 or 15 or 20 years. But give us an insight into what you think will happen down the track. Oh, it, it, it means that these players are forever recognisable. Um, and that's great for Australian football. Like it, it really started to hit the heights in the mid-2000s when we had that generation of men's players. And, you know, you, you could you could plonk Harry Kuehl in the middle of Fed Square and everyone would know who he is. Um, you know, that, that kind of recognition of the game, that, yes, you're a footballer and, yes, like, um, you're very good at it. And, you know, it, it, it carries the sport in that way. And it's only... I'm, like, I love the A-leagues and everything like that, but the, the national teams are the only things that can really do this. Like, mm-hmm. the unification of an entire country is pretty hard to do. Uh, politics fails miserably at it. <laughs> <laughs> don't fail, but it's, it's hard to draw people in, like, you know, you, you've got, we've got our favourite musicians, but I can guarantee you all four of us will have our different favourite four Australian musicians. But then you put an, a team of Australians together in one shirt playing the biggest sport of all or going to an Olympics. And that that's the thing that kind of binds us all together and has these where were you moments. So I think importantly for the game, um, if, if Football Australia aren't in a room this week or next, figuring out what the next four or five years looks like so that there's accessibility to these players, to the Australian public, with their own eyes. And I'm talking, you play six Matildas games a year here in Australia. It's hard to do because all the players are overseas. That's got to be the priority because you've got to stay stay front and centre and somewhat um, in touch with the people that are going to carry your sport because then that filters down to... And I've been to junior soccer games a lot and you get there and people are talking about, oh, Manly Para that afternoon or yeah. down in Melbourne who'd be talking about Carlton Collingwood that afternoon. They're not talking about, oh, there's an A-League game this afternoon or, oh, did you see that last night from so-and-so overseas? Whatever. It's it's fractured and 
this is what Football Australia really got to get get ahead of the game with. About yes, it's great legacy, but true legacy comes week in week out by keeping an attachment with these players and famous faces, the people that want to want to know more and 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 stay connected with them. You speak about the unification at the MCG last night. People in Carlton scarves Amazing and Melbourne scenes. scarves all celebrating together, watching the soccer. I was watching the Matildas. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, one last question for me. You, in your Code Sports article, you wrote about the Australian goalkeeping coach. Can you give us uh, an insight into the connection between yeah. last night and also what happened, what, 17 years ago? Yeah, Tony Franken, he was the goalkeeper coach for the Socceroos uh, oh. in 2005 with Mark Schwarzer. And wow. um, Mark Schwarzer, Delco Callas, all that. And, yeah, he was with the Socceroos during the good sitting era. And he was brought back on board oh, not that long ago with Matildas to kind of help them out. And he's... Um, he knows a lot, uh, talking to Mark Schwarzer, about what Tony Franken is as a coach. And he's, he's top shelf, and, yeah, you can see it. Mackenzie Arnold, she's gone to another level. She's had a good coach at a club in West Ham to, to propel her, and look at what she did, did last night. And then, um, yeah, what she did for Schwarzer and, and the guys, uh, what he did for Schwarzer and the guys back in 05, it's, it's very similar. So, Adam, our immediate focus when it comes to the Matildas is England on Wednesday at 8pm. But what about the other side of the draw, Spain and Sweden? How are they stacking up? Spain are excellent. They're a high-possession team, tiki-taka, a lot of passes, um, hard to contain with their movement and, and ball movement. So they'll be tough, especially if we're... If you say we make the final, we play Spain, and we're running on our kneecaps physically, that's, that's going to be a, a really tough ask. Sweden are a bit different. They're, they're very rigid in terms of defensive setup, hard to break down, and they had a really good tactical plan to, to nullify Japan in their quarterfinal, and they'll have something similar to Spain. So either way you look at it, there's, there's, there's two different styles coming our way if we make the final. If, big if, no offence England. But, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it, it's like diametrically opposed in terms of style, but... Um, in terms of, of talent and imposing threat, yeah, they're, they're both right up there. Adam, the whole country is being swept up in Matilda mania. Thank you so much for joining us and hopefully you don't need too many tequilas on Wednesday night and we get the job done. <laughs> it's all about the Barocas today. Thank <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Channel 7 football commentator Adam Peacock there, loving his work on Channel 7. Imagine being at the stadium last oh. night. Just through the TV, I was shaking. It would have been unbelievable being there. That's been the Werribee Izuzu Ute. They make buying cars easy. We're going to unpack a bit of footy Yeah, I've got one question break. for you, Sarah yes. and Scotty. If you're a penalty taker, are you a precision or are you a power? Ooh. I reckon I'd gas it, to be honest <laughs> with you. I don't think I'd have the nerves to do that. Scotty's raking left foot would be power, wouldn't it? All I would say is you can't afford to miss the box. You've got to make the goalkeeper save. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of kicks hit the post, didn't yeah. they? So they didn't ask enough questions of the keeper. Yeah. That's all I would say. It's got to, I wouldn't be tight. I'd yeah. be in a little bit, and there'd be a bit of heat on it. Yeah. <laughs> what would you do? No, I'm, I'd be precision, precision for sure. Okay. I'd be opening, my, opening myself up, going bottom right. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'd be, I'd be, I'd do it once, and I'd think, oh, do I double bluff them or not the next time? <laughs> I'd be nervous. Luckily, I'll never have to do that, Sarah. All right, you're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Stick with us. Up next, we unpack the footy. McCafe is turning 30 this year. That's three decades of McCafe making the perfect coffee to go with your early design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group.
Gunman's lurking. Zerko needs to find a target and does. And Eric Hipwood's mark 35 out. Flight angle, 45 metres. Comes in on the left foot. He likes it. Back inside, 50. It's a wobbler, but it worked. And Philthorpe's taken a good mark, and he's only 30 metres out. But this could be a big one. And it is to a dangerous spot. Can the Crows score? It comes to Rochelle. His handball's pretty good to Schoenberg, who can snap a goal. And they're alive, all right. Tom, did you know that there was another game going on in Brisbane yesterday? And was it, was, it? it was a cracker. It was at the Gabba between Brisbane and the Crows. In the end, the Lions, they held off a fast-finishing Adelaide outfit, 15-9-99, defeating the Crows, 13-15-93. A six-point win. I just had this on in the background as I was yeah. watching the Matildas. Because you can't do double screen, can I, you? I can't. No, I can't. I'm no good at it. It's a, um, it's a, it's a surprise, Scotty, because I would have thought that Sarah would – be all over the double screen, but no, I like to just oh, focus double, my attention on one screen. Double screen on the TV. No, no, is in you have like your iPad or your computer. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's and right. And then I a do. TV. I do the, I, I do the TV. But Sarah oh, can't you don't do even it. Do the TV and the no, iPhone. No, well, I had I had my laptop up with this match on, but I wasn't really watching, and I wasn't really watching because I was looking at the scoreline every now and then. Yeah, yeah. And Brisbane seemed to have this game under <laughs> control. And the Crows, they came home with a wet they sail. Did. Just left it a little bit too late, Tom. Brisbane were leading by 22 points halfway through the last term. And you thought it was game over. Then the Crows had one last crack. Look, the Lions are very tough to beat at the Gabba. We know that. They're 10 from 10 there. Charlie Cameron in the third quarter really was the difference. He kicked three goals in 25 minutes of footy. Um, Harris Andrews kicked his first goal as well. This is one of those games, Scotty, and we've spoken about it all year, where the losing team loses no friends. Adelaide had a crack all day. They almost got over the line. They couldn't do it, but they played some really good football. It's their year. It is, isn't, isn't it? it? It is. And it was listening to Chris Fagan after the game talking about trip back from Perth, six-day break. Thought he, they started slow and finished tired. Yeah. So that was a challenge. Once again, though, um, drive for show, putt for dough. More scoring shots to the Crows. And that's happened in several of their losses this year. And it's a big part of why Sydney are going so well, that they're ruthlessly efficient. They had less scoring shots than the uh, Gold Coast Suns yesterday. So just as simple as it comes down to your finishing. But it was interesting, Matthew Nix talking after the game, describing themselves as a, a good team and then pausing and saying they're a very good team, yet they're 10 and 11, they're 12th on the ladder, they won't make the eight, and they don't beat anyone above them. Yeah, they've had an unusual season. I know we think Fremantle's confusing, but um, they've lost to a top four team on the road by a goal or less, uh, the Pies twice and the Ds as well. Well, we're incredibly critical of Fremantle, I think, broadly on their performance this year. They've got one less win than Adelaide, mm. who generally there's a feeling of optimism around. I just can't quite resonate or reconcile that thought. They've still got a lot of work to do. They've been really good at home, not good away and not very good. Competitive, but not winning against any of the top teams. So they've got a fair bit to jump before they're in that mm. mix for me. And this was Matthew Nick's post-match on his high ambitions for the Crows. We've got all the ingredients there. Uh, we, we're not getting it done. So, so we've just got to get better. We, we want to be a great team. At the moment, we're a good team. In fact, we're, we're a very good team. Taking it up to the best all year. That was part of our goal this year was to challenge the best. We're doing that. But we want to be better than what we are at the moment. So, so there's a lot of disappointed people in our change rooms. Um, because it was an opportunity. So finals is now out of the Crows' hands. They're 10 and 11, and they're going to need everything to go their way uh, over the next couple of weeks uh, with the Sydney Swans and West Coast Eagles to come. Tex Walker, 
couple of goals. Could have kicked five. He's on 65, Charlie Kerno on 70. But he also kicked his 600th AFL goal. It's an amazing um, Indian summer. He's never been All-Australian, Taylor Walker. Has to be this year. Yeah, he's got to come into the conversation, Has to be, yeah. I'm interested in Matt Crouch's future as well. Um, I think he's got now got some currency on the open market when he had no currency about six months ago. I don't think his currency's actually changed because I think Matt, Matt Crouch was always going to come in and play. Matt Crouch has played the last two weeks like he's always played. And if he played games last year, he played them like he always played them. Yeah. He's a very good player, very off- offensive, can get lots of the ball. I don't think anything's changed in his game. I'd be surprised if there was interest. I don't think it should have necessarily gone up the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Because he's always been a very good player. If you look at his game logs, he'd play 10 weeks of the Sandville, come in and get 35 in the AFL. That's never been the issue. I think it's a blend of the mids that they want and that defensive side of his game. He's got, he's got no issue there. At Marvel Stadium yesterday, it was Essendon just getting it done over North Melbourne, 13-8-86 to North's 12-5-77. A nine-point win, the second week in a row, though, that I just thought the Bombers were really unconvincing against opposition that really have shown that they're, they're so far below it this year. <laughs> yeah. uh, what... That is the nicest, most diplomatic way to express a team that's 2-19 well, and 19 with a percentage of 68. Well a, done, Sarah. As a, as a <laughs> former was... Don, how do you oh, approach last the last are... two weeks? The last two weeks have been poor. Yeah. They've got eight points to show for it, but they've been nothing but ordinary. Terrible, you could even say. The collective win-loss of 17 and 18 on the ladder are 4-38. and 38. And, you've got, and you've stolen one game. And had to fight your way in this one, which you could have easily have lost. They're, they're, they haven't played well at all. But they've got no. the eight points and they're still alive. But It's still in it's, their hands somehow. Well, it is. That, I know the percentage is poor, but it, they've won 11 games. If you're they can right. get to 13. It's still in their hands, but with the Giants in Sydney and Collingwood to come, yeah. it's not really. Because they won't get within six goals of either of those teams if they play like they have the last two weeks. Now, you walk away as a coach and your job is to, you know, motivate them or talk it up. So then you'd look at, hey, boys, you haven't played your best footy, but you've you've hung in, you've tough, you've fought, great, lock into the last two weeks. Mm. But what they needed to do the last two weeks was bridge the gap on percentage because they're, a, they're, they're effectively a game, if St Kilda went to go, they're actually a game behind because all the other so teams low. because of their percentage. So your opportunity the last two weeks to bridge or make up four or five percent is now gone. Yeah, so yeah. you've actually lost by winning the last two weeks. You've still lost because yeah. you've lost ground on the competition. Nick Martin was outstanding on the wing, three mm. goals, thirty-two touches, um, and I'm just looking at the way North Melbourne are playing, and I'm thinking to myself, they've lost nineteen in a row, and this is their worst streak since 1933. If they lose the next two against Richmond and uh, who are they playing in round 23? I'm not sure they're playing in round 23. The, it'll be the first time since 2012 where a team's lost 21 in a row, and that was the Giants. So this North Melbourne team isn't exactly ham- like hammering along. But, Scotty, I'm looking at them, and I'm going, Nick Larky's kicking five goals. He's had a great Harry season. Harry Sheasel's 32 touches. LDU, 28 touches. North's best players are actually performing. Ben Cunnington mm. yesterday as well. So it must be a depth issue because it's not the top end. The top end are actually doing their bit, I think. I but think as well some of the younger players are probably just getting pretty tired at this stage yeah. in the in their careers. You mentioned Ben Cunnington. It was his farewell mm. match yesterday. It was a pretty typical match from Ben Cunnington. I think he had 
what was it, the 24 touches, I think 16 were contested. The two goals. And, I mean, that was one of the moments of the day yesterday when he kicked that opening goal and he got absolutely mobbed by teammates. He's a much-loved brew. We said um, Taylor Walker has never been All-Australian, neither Ben Cunnington. Is that also a bit stiff? A bit stiff. Two-time best and fairest. He's probably competing against more flashy midfielders. But if if you look at Ben Cunnington's career... He is an outstanding example of someone who's got every single bit of talent out of himself. And, Scotty, about four years ago, I've got to say this, Sarah Ollie and I went to North Melbourne training because they, they put on a media <laughs> oh. pre-season yo-yo test. Yeah, so who made it all about himself? Who well, do you I didn't tr- well, Him, I was the guy yeah. dressed in his running gear right now, <laughs> yeah. eating a salad sandwich That's right. at 10.30. So it was a yo-yo test. There was Jackie Felgate and me and Braden Ingram and a few others. It's got a couple of thoroughbreds there. Yeah, yeah. and I, uh, I was next to Ben Cunnington, and I don't say this lightly. You I beat him. I beat him. But that tells me how good must the rest of his game be if I'm beating him in running. How, how clean must his hands be? How yeah, competitive must yeah, he be? Yeah. And how how good must his actual football ability be if, if I'm beating him in a yo-yo test? Yeah. He, he's pure footy, isn't yeah. he? And if, I must put this on the record, we were doing snaps today, Ben Cunnington would have been ah, mine yes. because of that career that he's had. He's been outstanding, hasn't he? And he's faced a lot of adversity the last 12 months, two years off field. So it was just great to see that the joy that he was able to have yesterday and finish off so well. Last night at Optus Stadium, it wasn't really a, a flashy affair, was Ooh. it? Fremantle 2014, 134, defeating the Eagles 4-9-33, a 101-point win, the biggest ever derby win for the Dockers. Lockie Schultz, he was the Glendinning Allen medalist with five goals, 24 touches, I'm just not really sure what to make of West Coast because we've seen in the last month. I think you know what to make of this. You are so diplomatic and kind today, Sarah. It must be frustrating though because when they bring effort as they have Mm. in the past month, they've they've actually been slightly competitive. But this is not even close to being competitive. Do you think, could last night, does last night say something about the Bombers last week against them? Yeah, uh, potentially. Does that put it into context how poor a performance it was by them? Yeah. Because Freo have beaten them. It was 18 to 100 and so, you know, when you check the game logs, at one stage, I think they got to, what did they get to? 33, but at one stage it was 18 to 110 or 120. That's under 14. I, wa- I watched two Stuff, quarters of this it? game. I watched the second and third quarter, and in that time, West Coast did not score. Frio banged 17 straight goals after West Coast kicked the first two. Um, and, and Daniel Cherney tweeted from Code Sports, there's a list of players that have outscored West Coast this year now. <laughs> Mitch Lewis, Charlie Curnow, Jack Gunston and Taylor Walker. And there's a list of players to have equaled West Coast this year, Isaac Heaney and Lockie Schultz. Um, yeah. They're a real issue, the West Coast Eagles. And I don't know if this is the performance that pushes Adam Simpson's career across the line. I doubt it is. But they've now lost by 100 points five times this year and, and 11 times more than 10 goals. It's been a shocking season. Well, I would say it'd be unprecedented in the day of salary cap and draft when it's all about equalisation, isn't mm. it, of the competition. Uh, it's just, it's incredible, their lack of performance and the lack of anything appearing to be happening there. Yep. Stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, we speak to Adrian Hickmott, the Hawthorne assistant coach. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Three games coming up today and it all begins in the Apple Isle with Hawthorne taking on the Western Bulldogs. Hawks assistant coach Adrian Hickmont has been good enough to give us a few minutes of his time. Adrian, good morning. 
G'day, guys. How are you going? Very well, thank you. I'm just wondering, did you get swept up in Matilda's mania like all of us last night? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. It, was, um, it was beautiful to watch on it and our hearts in our mouths. And yeah, sure enough, I think it was 10, was it? 10, 10 um, sh- shots on goal. And then finally we got the score. So it was exciting. Definitely was. I, I, was, uh, I was watching uh, a lot of the teams watch the t- watch the game together. So GWS watching the game together. I know you guys are playing in Melbourne, but has there been any discussion of it when you arrived at the ground this morning? Playing in, yeah, in Tassie, yeah. So we're in our hotel and the guys were down in the, um, in the meals room and we had it on uh, projector. So yeah, there's a few guys in there watching it and some, uh, yeah, when a goal scored, barracking and then when it wasn't quiet. So it was, <laughs> it was actually really good fun. <laughs> really good fun. Can I ask a footy question? <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry, an Australian football question. Finn McGuinness. Yeah, Finn McGuinness. Is he going to go to Marcus Bontempelli today? Uh, we haven't given, we haven't declared that yet, have we? So, no, you haven't. Uh, no, we haven't. I, I knew you were trying to do something. There. <laughs> um, so we're yeah. He'll, he'll um, play a role today for us, and we'll just have to wait until the bounce to see how that works out. So I like the question, though. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hickey, I've heard uh, Sam Mitchell discuss consistency of the group and so forth this year and that inability to just keep backing it up being a young team. Great performance last week at Collingwood. What do you do to almost recreate this and back it up, start to back it up week in, week out and find that consistency? Because your good's yeah. very good. That's a good that's, uh, I think that's the question that all footy coaches and match committee ask, isn't it? How did they do that? You know, um, and how do you keep that up each week, each week um, from one game to the next? Look, uh, the way we train, um, the way we review games is really important. So uh, I, even after that week, we really enjoy the moment, really you know, live it up um, like the Matildas last night. And then I'm sure uh, 24 hours later, we get back to work again. So you must enjoy the moments, which we did. And then we get back to work and we review it. Uh, you know, in small groups, um, work through the, the well done and work through the improvements and then uh, we go out and train. And so our training, we want to be really consistent of that each week. So training stands is really important from us, especially from a young group. Hickey, I saw Eddie Ford go to Sicily against North Melbourne, Cooper Sharman, when you played St Kilda. And it did have an impact on his effectiveness Collingwood do nothing essentially last week and he's dominant. Uh, what do you expect today? And what can Sicily do if he has the negative player put on him to keep his influence up? Yeah, it's a, it's a good challenge. Um, Sicily, we know, is you know, in good form, playing good football, and he has, he's going to get attention to him. So when Sis just plays his normal game, so he's the defender, you know, defend as per normal and you know, win or halve your one-on-ones. Um, that's what that's what we want to do with this. And then whoever sits on him that may sit on him or um, it doesn't, um, we expect that to help other, you know, help his other backs out. So yeah, it's a great challenge. He's in really good form, you know, all Australian form really in mean, the squad. Um, when we when we look back on his year, and so yeah, play his own game and help out the others around him. Young Blanky, you know, um, Weddle back there, young guys back there, give you know, show leadership with them too. When looking at the Collingwood game last week and you're penciling where your goals will come from, I don't know whether you're thinking Brandon Ryan's going to kick three <laughs> in his second game. Uh, somewhat of a surprise, but he looks quite comfortable at the level for a mature age pick that doesn't have much meat on the bones as yet. Yes, he doesn't. No, he's, he's a ripper bloke too. He loves loves footy and has a bit of charisma to the group um, in mature age. And 
Now, I think we're all, not I think, I know when we asked him how it went after his first game, and, and he just big smile on his face and goes, yeah, I enjoyed it. So, you know, he enjoys it through the work he does, though. So he you know, had fun, but he works his butt off during the week. And, yeah, no, he's been really good for the team. And, you know, his long stretch arms, they're long, aren't they? Like, you don't <laughs> think he's going to grab it. And before you know, he's taken the mark. And he, he's been doing those uncanny things at training. Adrian, thanks for joining us on Sunstrom and Best of Luck against the Dogs today. Good on you guys. Thanks very much for the talk. Hawthorne assistant coach Adrian Hickmont there. It's going to be an intriguing battle down in the Apple Isle because, as you said, Scotty, when the Hawks bring their best, they've been more than competitive this year. And I wonder if they're still on a bit of a high after last week, after the big win against the Pies, or if they've come back down to earth. I'm sure they will have been challenged through the week because they've had good performances before and then perhaps not backed it up as they'd like. And he would be talking about the evolution of this group and what you need to do. And they've got an excellent record in Tassie. Mm. That's the, this is a really tough game, I think, for the Bulldogs. A yeah. danger game? Absolutely. Banana peel game. Absolutely. Their best they will win. But Hawthorne have been good at taking away from the opposition. And part of that has been Finn McGuinness. You took away... Mm. He's playing on Bont, based on that answer, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Because he would have said, no, we're looking at something else. (laughs) Bont is going to go forward, though, if he gets tagged. And then I wonder what Mm. that looks like, that matchup. That's the advantage of Bont. He's so good up forward with his craft. And it's another string to his bow through size that others don't have. So you'd roll him to full forward, push the others up the ground and say, "Okay, Finn, we'll see what... What you like as a fullback? I'd like to see Bont on Sicily. Imagine that matchup. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Sicily trying to run off and Bont trying to kick goals. <laughs> Unlikely, but I'd love to see it. Yesterday at the SCG, it was the Swans 18-6-114, defeating the Gold Coast Suns 13-12-90, a 24-point win. This was pretty evenly matched in the first half, but the Swans kicked away in the second half. It's their 11th win of the season. They've moved to sixth. It's some <laughs> turnaround in form, given that I think it was they were 15th. After round 17. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. I think I got my numbers confused off the top. I said they were 17th, but they were 15th after round 17. So, really, you've got to give credit to them, Tom, and how they've been able to turn their season around. Sarah, I was off them, and I think you were off them as well, very quietly behind the scenes. Off them early. Sarah's sermon was the swans are done. Sarah did about three sermons in a row. (laughs) She sort of packed their bags and sent them off. Look, okay, the reality is the swans, their forward line looks so dangerous at the moment. Will Haywood kicked four, three of them in the quarter. Logan McDonald kicked three. Chad Warner and Tom Papley were excellent, winning a lot of the ball. There was eight lead changes in this game, Mm. so the Suns gave it a go. But the Swans just had too much class, and I just wonder how much damage they can do if they do make finals, and it is still in their hands. They've won 11 games. Yeah, um, players back has made a difference. I'm a real believer in uh, they're less predictable going forward, and we're seeing a, a better spread of goal kickers, like Haywood kicking four just shows yeah. Logan McDonald got three. Less predictable, harder to defend. There's not a, an anchor point with the, with the with the bud not there. There's no anchor point for the opposition defence. Yep. So it's a bit harder. Yep. Um, Warner's missing footy. He's back in. Uh, they've just got some personnel back. They were really decimated for a period of that middle part of the year when they were losing. And now they've got five in a row with momentum and confidence having done it before. And I think that's really important too. And Sarah, Gold Coast missed five golden opportunities mm. in, in the last quarter. So they could have... Well, they, they absolutely could have won, but I think Sydney were the better team all day and deserved the four points. I mean, when it comes to the Gold Coast Suns, we know that they're after a coach. What are you hearing, are Tom, they? when it comes to Damien Hardwick? Is that all but signed, sealed and delivered? Well, I trust Eddie Maguire's reporting on Footy Classified during the week that it seems to be just about done, but until you get the announcement, you're not sure. I was interested, I was interested listening to Stephen King after the game talk about two things, two aims. 
to win more games than last year. They need to win their last two matches and to win a VFL flag. And their VFL team is humming. So it's not all bad for the Suns. Damien Hardwick would make things a little bit better. A little bit brighter indeed. That has been a strong first hour of Sunday Crunch Time. And it's a big one coming up next. Peter Wright, the Don's Gun, is going to join us in our second hour. Tom's News Whip is going to get cracking. And my sermon is coming up. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Welcome back to the second hour of Crunch Time for Ozito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. And a very warm welcome if you are joining us for the first time around the country. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scotty Lucas on a day, gents, where we are all smiling like Cheshire cats because the Matildas got it done last night. I've got to say, though, in some pretty agonising fashion, that penalty shootout aged me a decade, Tom. <laughs> what, so you look you look 30 now, Sarah? It was yeah, unbelievable last night. I've got to say, um, nothing unites a nation quite like a World Cup or Olympic success. And I firmly believe that the Matildas are... Two games away, 180 minutes away, from a Kathy Freeman-like moment for this generation. And I hope I'm overstating it, but when you have people at the MCG who are passionate Carlton and Melbourne fans, not watching their own team play, but hugging each other in the Percy Beams or the Frank Graysmith Bar or anywhere else around the stadium, it just tells me that this has swept the nation, and so it should have. It is engrossing to watch. Every single minute of last night was unmissable. Could be bigger, couldn't it? Than Could Kathy? It be, yeah, Perhaps. I know it's Olympics home and the pressure she took in. Maybe the team sport aspect? Well, I'm more entertained by it. I don't want to shoot Bambi. I think Kathy Friedman was unbelievable. And unbelievable. I think it's probably not for me to give an exact uh, no. equation of what uh, of how they um, weigh yeah. up against each other. But I am entertained by international soccer and World Cup soccer is the best it gets, men's and women's. And I'm, I said earlier, I feel guilty that I haven't watched women's soccer enough in the past, until the Lionesses won last year's Euros. I hadn't really watched international women's soccer. And when I read about how much they were paid in previous World Cups, and Elise Perry scoring in the quarter final uh, a couple of World Cups ago, I'm embarrassed that the sport hasn't been as popular as it is now. And hopefully this can springboard it to greater things. But the best thing that you can do now is consume it and it is yeah. talk about it. And I think everyone this morning is talking about it. In the first hour of the show, we spoke to Adam Peacock, the Channel 7 commentator. Have a listen to his chat. He was engrossing as well, providing so much insight into everything around that game and what's to come for the Matildas. Wednesday, 8pm against England. I'm going to be nervous. It's going to be great. Sarah, I've been looking forward to this for the last <laughs> 12 to 16 hours. It's time for the Sunday Sermon with Sarah Ollie. <laughs> now, it's time for the Sunday Sermon on Crunch Time. There was a cracking game yesterday afternoon at the Gabba, but I've got to put my hand up. I didn't see much of it. And as I'm reliably told, I'm not alone. At the MCG last night, Carlton and Melbourne locked horns in a finals-like match. Yet in the first quarter, it was the bars and not the seats that were packed. The Matildas have taken Australia on a special journey this past month. It has been intoxicating, joyful and emotional. Last night, after the longest penalty shootout in World Cup history, this most beloved team made it through to the semifinals. Courtney Vine having her own John Aloisi moment. And now it's Courtney Vine at her first World Cup 
the speedster to send Australia into the semi-finals. Looks cool. Vine scores! And Australia are into the semi-finals! Courtney Vine has done it! Australia, a mighty victory! And the Matildas are scaling new heights. They are into the world's final four. They win on penalties. I defy anyone to not love this team. The Matildas are doing something special. Players like Mary Fowler are now household names. And in my own house, I've seen it. My husband went for a run the other morning and was so cold he wore gloves. He called them his Mary Fowler gloves. I defy anyone to not love this team. They're through to the final four, and if destiny has its way, there are more chapters in this story. I defy anyone to not love this team, this team that has cut through barriers when it comes to age, gender, race, this team that is doing so much for the profile of women's sport. I defy anyone to not love this team. Sarah, fantastic sermon. I've got to say... Sarah's walked into this office a number of times this year, Scotty. And Sydney have won the last five matches of the year, but she's never walked in as happy as she was today. And I felt the same. Um, It gives you goosebumps watching last night. How often are you watching a sporting contest where you're genuinely on the edge of your seat, where it feels like it matters more than anything else you've watched all year? And I watched the end of Carlton Melbourne, and I wanted the Demons to win. But I, it, it didn't, I didn't think about it 10 or 15 minutes later. Mm. I was thinking about this Matildas game when I woke up this morning. It's just the importance of it. It's, a World Cup. it's like the Olympics, isn't it? It's once every four years. Melbourne play next week. They've played 21 games before. Yeah. This, and it, just the drama attached to it. I'd love nothing more than them to beat England. Be great, particularly after the Ashes and the carry-on in general. <laughs> yeah, I love it how it transcends sports. Like England, <laughs> just the carry-on. Yeah, it'd be it'd be such a great victory, particularly some, against them. I've got some numbers from Channel Seven broadcast ratings: four point one seven million average audience. That's the wow. number one rating TV sport program of the past decade. Wow! The number one streaming event ever in Australia: four hundred seventy-two thousand on Seven Plus. Seven point two million people reached. That's five p.m. on Saturday. What will eight p.m. on Wednesday get for a semi-final? That will be more. It's prime time on a Wednesday night. That is unbelievable. That is so many eyeballs on a women's game of football. That is absolutely incredible, Scotty. Mm. Just beat England. (laughs) (laughs) Great sermon, Sarah. Well done. Uh, It's going to be so exciting. And hopefully we can do it again on Wednesday and then then get to the final. This is why defeat hurts so much in World Cups because you, you become so invested in it. So, I mean, 180 more minutes of soccer. And then we... And also... Just the gap. It's four years. You don't get another crack for four yeah. years. There's no next week. Uh, I want to see Sam Kerr start. I want to see a score. Um, these play these players that I've never heard of are now household names. Mary Fowler is one of them. Her penalty bottom left. Unbelievable. So much power in and, that foot. Yeah. And that's the great part for the girls. Wherever they're playing right now opens them up. You see that if they perform on the big stage, they may not be rewarded fairly or adequately for playing in the World Cup, but it's the contracts down the track got my manager hat on now and the transfers that may come that lead to the riches for them which they thoroughly deserve and it's great for the sport because it'll be it'll create tension in the market and transfers and drive drive what they're paid up what did we make of the pm's comments though oh way to jinx it elbow (laughs) well he hasn't jinxed it yet adam peacock was spot on like sport unifies everyone Mm. Uh, yet it at some stage someone tries to get a political advantage a (laughs) one-upmanship i just wish they wouldn't talk
and couldn't be quoted during sporting events. Just let the sport play itself out. Sarah, when was the last time you watched a sporting contest and had the same visceral emotions as what you had last night? Probably the 2012 grand final. Yeah. So and and, <laughs> and you're a, you know you're a 33 year old woman oh. who's sitting at home caring deeply about what you're watching. Well, I know I said it in the first hour, but. I, I couldn't move from my spot because I've sat in the same spot every time what, we've what watched. Is it, what was it called? Jinxy? Jinxy Cat. I Jinxy didn't want to play Jinxy <laughs> Cat on myself. Oh, it's a new guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's moved me, this tournament. And I, that sounds a little bit over the top, but it genuinely has uh, moved. You get There's you more get at play. Yeah. I get it. Um, I've got three daughters. There's far more at play than a game of soccer. Yep. It's sort of showing everyone, particularly in the community and so forth, what it's really about. And... If you provide the opportunities and the platform, there's no, they'll deliver in spades. Yeah. Mm. National pride is an amazing thing, and it's something yeah. that we have in spades right now. But the attention will quickly turn to the Lionesses and whether we can go again. Because we're not satisfied, are we? We want more. Well, we're not. And Adam Peacock thinks that we have the game to take it to the mm. Lionesses. The thing that I've really loved when I look at the crowds, there's such a cross-section of people. There are mm. you know, kids. There are adults. There are grandparents. Mm. There are boys, there are girls. Like, it's such a cross-section and representation of the Australian community. Like, everyone has been swept up in this. And I saw pictures last night of post-match at the Gabba. Chris Fagan is watching yes. the game with the Gold Coast. Before uh, the, the press conference. With Matthew Before Nicks. their press conference. Yes. Yep. So, everyone is stopping mm. to take this all in. And at the MCG yesterday, I wasn't there, but I had friends there. And they said it was weird because... You could hear cheers at random times in the first quarter that did not equate to what was going <laughs> yeah. on in the football. Yeah. But it was because people were in the bars watching the penalties, which was unbelievable. Yeah. I'm, 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 thinking, I'm looking at this now through an AFL lens yep. and what they would be thinking about the success of the Matildas, whether they'd want to be swept up in it and understand that it's a, a once-in-a-lifetime achievement, potentially winning a World Cup on home soil, or whether they're worried about the growth of soccer. And the reason that these games aren't being played at the MCG and might not be played at the MCG in a FIFA Men's World Cup is because the AFL doesn't want to give up that venue or Marvel, which it owns, for a month in the middle of the season. Which is fair enough. Is there also a FIFA uh, requirement that the ground be specifically dimensioned for their game only can they play do they want to play soccer on a, a bigger ground i think mcg is okay i'm not sure amy park would be big enough for a fifa men's world no Cup. no well i think that's just build when we bit a few years ago yeah. but my favorite tiktok account at the moment sarah <laughs> is this and i said this to you during the week are you on tiktok scotty no, but no, I get sent family. I'm not a I, no, either. well, I am because it's the new age media, Sarah. You should get involved in it. <laughs> oh, As, yeah. Australian OGs. Yeah, Sarah. And get this, on, get this on is, with it. This is about the um, Australian Women's World Cup team from 1975, and they're posting clips oh, yeah, yeah. of these women who I presume are grandmas. They're all in the mid 70s. Dribbling the ball and doing tricks and playing against the New Zealanders. It is heartwarming to watch, and they're posting content all the time. I reckon. Um, Sarah, if he keep, continues to quote TikTok, Twitter, and all of that, where we get code sports and that, we're going to start finding him. We'll just, okay, to, you know, we'll just talk about fax machines. Can we then? get some original, original, original Tom? Be creative. Um, I think the AFL should embrace it. Back to your original question. I mean, we want eyeball. I think eyeballs on women's sport is more important than soccer v AFL. So I reckon if you do it well, there can be a flow-on effect for this is what's great about the sport and bringing people together and weave that into your sport and what you're offering 
people. Yeah. So the AFLW, the season, it commences in about mm. three weeks' time. Yeah. How do you piggyback off this momentum and put it into the AFLW? It's tricky, isn't it, Tom? Because the AFLW is a competition. So we're yeah. watching 18 teams, whereas the Matildas is a national team. It's not really comparing apples with oranges, but is it? I think it's very difficult to because the other thing is that these are the best the best playing in a World Cup, whereas yeah. you have 18 teams. And I think anyone would concede that the depth of the AFLW is not what they'd want it to be or not what it will be in five or ten years' time. So if you have the best 36 AFLW players playing 18 v 18, it would be a great watch, yeah. but you don't get that. No. I'm not sure how they piggyback off off the back of it, but what I do know is that it's exhilarating to watch and that um, and that many young boys and girls around the country will grow up not knowing what it's like to not have this on mainstream TV, yeah. and that is a very good thing. Mm. I think the number one question that I'll have to ask is what has – why have so many people tuned into it? Is and for what what those reasons are govern the strategy or the approach you should have to the upcoming AFLW season and the future seasons. You, you've got to understand why people have got caught up in it. Now, if it's because it's the Australian jersey, well, you don't get a lot out of that because, as you said, Sarah, it's eighteen teams and it's club colours. So then maybe it's how do you get your hundred thousand members? Use Essendon as a club with a lot of members. How do you bring them across from essentially the men's side of the equation to the female and create a level of pride in the red and black that the, that the ladies are wearing? I reckon that's what you've got to start to look at. Well, it was an incredible night of sport. And actually at the MCG, there was a pretty good match going on as well. So let's get into Carlton and Melbourne. In the end, the Blues, 9-6-60. They got the chocolates over the Ds, 8-8-56. A four-point win and one that had a fair bit of controversy at the death, Tom. Yes. Uh, Christian Petrarca's kick for goal was a judge touched by a soft signal for the yep. goal umpire. Um, it then went upstairs and there was inconclusive evidence to overturn it. I've been in contact with the AFL this morning. We're waiting on a verdict on that. My view is that is a correct decision. There was inconclusive evidence to overturn it. Caleb Marchbank has since said on radio that he did touch it. Not that you can always take the word of a player, but I think this is the, the issue here is not the decision, it's the system. Because the umpire has to give a soft yeah. signal. So even if the umpire is not sure... They have to make a determination, which is part of the reason in cricket that they've changed it for no soft signal when there's a, a, a catch that may or may not have been taken. Looking at it, whilst I can understand inconclusive, if you were to go, it did look like there was, it was touched. On the right hand, yeah. not the left hand. No, though. no, no. So it the hand did, that he didn't mean yeah. to touch the ball with. Yeah. Maybe. Um, and on top of that, I reckon, I'm with you, I reckon 80% of the time, players, if they haven't touched it, they generally don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was I, really do, I really do believe that. And maybe I've got too much faith in humanity and players, <laughs> but I haven't seen too many players call out touched when it's clearly not. So yeah. I tend to go with that. Um, as disappointing for Melbourne as it was, it appears to be the correct decision and that's all you can go with. Fantastic game of football. Neither team walk away having lost anything essentially uh, because both games are in order. Carlton close to the best – well, they are the best-performed team. They've beaten the top three yep. over the last five weeks. They're full of confidence. Uh, Mel it's asked more questions of Melbourne. Carlton will have some players come back. They'll feel confident. Melbourne with the Grundy and so forth, they need Fritch desperately back in the team. And Petty is such a significant loss for them. Let's hear from Simon Goodwin, the Melbourne coach, when it comes to the umpire decisions. The guy closest to where it all took place 
thought he touched it. So um, I know what you guys think. So umpire's call. Umpire's call then, eh? That's the rules. Yeah. Yeah. There was also a, a moment um, a few minutes before then when Van Ruyen, it looked like his legs were taken from underneath him at a pretty crucial time. Did you see that moment and what were your thoughts on that? Uh, look, I'm not going to get into the specifics of all the umpiring decisions. Um, I'll let other people decide and judge their performance. That's not for me. I'm here to talk about Melbourne and the game. So very smart, Simon Goodwin, not getting caught up in all of that. And Michael Voss didn't either. But Carlton only needs to win one of its next two games against Gold Coast and GWS to play finals for the first time since 2013. When you remember, Sarah, they actually finished ninth and came in for Essendon due to the drug saga. So it's not since 2011 has Carlton finished the home and away season in the top eight. They've now won eight in a row for the first time since 2000. And my question to both of you is how high can Blue supporters aim? They're unlikely to make the top four, but they're playing as contested and competitive football as anyone. Dare we say it? Is a premiership a chance? I'd be daring to dream because they're doing it without some key cogs in their side as well. Having said that, Scotty, I still think it's really hard to win without securing the double chance. We have seen it done before, but I just think that's a tough ask of a team in September. Is it once in top eight, this formation of the top eight's about 23? 2000. So 23 years, one team's done it. So Sarah, you're spot on. Uh, We look at the data and go, it's really tough. There's always a but. They're in as good a form as anyone and full of confidence. So you just never know. If they can finish fifth, win their first final and get Melbourne off the back of a losing final at the MCG, they have every chance to make a prelim. Their contested footy is amazing. Um, and yesterday, their condition, the condition suited them, and they played football that suited Patrick Cripps, 29 disposals, George Hewitt, 33 disposals. Charlie Kernow kicked a couple of goals again. How did you find that battle between Charlie oh, Kernow and Stephen May? It was fun to watch. Yeah, I, listened, well, I actually heard Kane Corns say it on the round so far on AFL.com. It was like Jakovic v Carey, <laughs> but it actually was because it yeah. was one-on-one contests all the time. And st- I think it was probably neutralised as a contest, and it really didn't have a big effect on the game, but it was super entertaining to watch, Scotty. Mm. I-, I watched them last week against St Kilda, and they just seem so in tune and connected to mm. one another. Like there seems to be a level of camaraderie within that group. How's this that happen? can take you a long way. I think perhaps strength through adversity. Yep. And we, we've heard a couple of stories about that rough patch that they went through and what they're able to do. But they seem like a group that really care about where they're going. They, even through when they weren't playing well, there was a, a real consistency and maturity of club around the, the speculation around the coach. Which stability. That? Which yeah. hasn't been Carlton's one wood previously, oh, has it? Hasn't been any club. <laughs> <They're> disastrous. <laughs> so they were emphatic, weren't they? The players, yep. um, president, CEO. Yep. They were aligned. Yeah. Yep. They were all on the same page. And um, I think that counts for a lot. There was a time, Scotty and Sarah, where I genuinely thought that if you're going to do the power rankings in the AFL mm. system, Carlton was the third worst team. I thought the West Coast was the worst, North mm. Melbourne was the second worst, and Hawthorne were playing better football than Carlton at the time. Mm. And now I genuinely look at them, I think, if they're not the best, they're probably two, three, or four in terms of how they're playing. Oh, What a turnaround. I've never seen an in-season turnaround like it. The only reason I think you'd say that they're not one or two mm. is that there's that patch in the middle. So yep. you just refer back. You can't forget that. But if you look at form, is it eight in a row eight now? Eight in a row. And they've been three, the top three teams. So... 
they're the, they're the hot team at the moment. It's where they can get themselves in a position and the cards fall their way that they can get there. So there's been some doubt over whether the goal umpire thought that the ball hit Marchbank's left arm, which was in the air, or right wrist, which was on the which was closer to the ground. My understanding is that the goal umpire did think that the ball hit the right wrist. So it's not like the goal umpire uh, didn't know right, and, and then said yeah. a soft signal as a guess. He actually did believe it was touched, and the inconclusive evidence that came back probably justifies that, Sarah. A, f- a far more issue, Sarah, though, was the two decisions Friday night, weren't they? If we talk about umpiring. I mean, it hasn't been a great weekend for the umpiring fraternity, I don't think. What has worried me a little bit, and I don't say it's necessarily from the four umpires, but having watched a lot of games live, I'm seeing a lot of decisions made, obvious decisions that are missed when the umpire 50 metres away then corrects it, and rightly so. My worry is why is someone so far away able to see what, we're seeing. Are you talking about the tackle, the dangerous uh, tackle? Uh, just in general, a lot of holding the balls. I've never seen so many holding the balls missed as what I am at the moment. Yeah, well, I think people misunderstand. I'm not saying you, but I think yeah. people misunderstand the holding the ball rule. If you don't have prior opportunity and make an attempt and it spills out, it's play on, even if the disposal is incorrect. That's what's important. You are allowed, and t- this may, this is yeah. probably right or this may yes, be right no, or wrong, no, but it's to not dispose correct. of the ball correctly. Yeah. And mm. there was a couple of them last night. The easiest change to make in AFL, I think, is to allow the boundary umpire and the goal umpire, if not to make a decision, to have communication with the field umpire to let them know what happened. Because that boundary line decision with Jeremy Cameron the other night, the, the one that was given as a mark when it may or may not have mm. been. The boundary ump- – oh, no, sorry, the, the, the handball – there's three umpires right there, but the boundary umpire is quiet because he's passive in that moment. He can be part of the play and he should know the rules, but he's not allowed to make a decision. So on face value, my issue is the co- so they go. You know, we've got fo- we've got uh, you know uh, we've got footage of it's a correct decision. Yeah, well, either show us the footage or don't say that because. I'll go with the two Collingwood players that are next to the ball that goes out of bounds as having a pretty good idea that the ball were. You're talking but, about the mark? Yeah. If it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and quacks <laughs> like a duck, it's a duck. Yeah. It's, and that was... Yeah. Well, I don't but, know about that one. You don't know about that one? No, I... I okay, if the AFL have got vision that says it was a mark, show us. Yeah, well, that's right. I agree with that. Or don't say that. I agree with it's that. it's so easy to hide behind that. The vision that I only saw one angle and the vision that I saw, um, I think, is actually inconclusive because it's not perfectly in line with the boundary line. And I'm willing to accept that the AFL saying that it wasn't... Um, it wasn't necessarily an error. The other one was categorically an error, and they came out and said that. Yeah. But you're, you're right. With a curved line and no capability to go upstairs with a TV review, it makes it fraught with danger, and there's gonna, always going to be debate. Just back to Sorry, the Blues. Sorry, yes, we got distracted. No, that's right. I'm happy yeah. to go off on a tangent. But they <laughs> stay in fifth spot. They're arguably the informed team of the competition. Eight wins in a row. And a lot of credit has to go to their coach, Michael Voss. This was him last night. I think that's the biggest one is, you know, we're, we're winning different ways. And, you know, we've um, shown a really, you know, great adaptability across the year. Um, lots of questions asked of us. But we're showing that resilience and grit and... Um, we're able to put that into the way we're playing and um, you know you can sort of see that the boys have got some real hunger and desire right now and uh, and they're sort of really clear on what what's needed and just thought it was a fantastic performance it felt like a almost like a finals like game where you know we had front half dominance they had and we had some clearance they had some front half dominance and they had the clearance battle going so it was just back and forth for 
you know, four quarters and um, both teams didn't relent. I want to turn the discussion to Brody Grundy, who has been uh, very much <coughs> at the pointy end of every discussion around Melbourne for a number of weeks now. He came back in last night. He had nine disposals in conditions that clearly didn't favour his style of play. But Max Gorn also wasn't at his best. And that has been a consistent theme across games where the two players have played together. Before I get your thoughts, Scotty, this is what Simon Goodwin had to say on Grundy's return to the senior team. Tough night for all forwards, I would have thought. Um, you know, you know, we didn't have a lot of entries early. In the end, we probably used both of them in the ruck a little bit more um, than what we were planning for, but that was what the game needed at the time. So he'll, he'll evolve, he'll get better. Um, as I said, it wasn't a free-flowing forward entry type of game. It was a lot of repeat entries, a lot of scrappy entries for both teams. So, um, yeah, we'll go back and have a look at it and assess it as we go. Well, the coach has to be supportive. Yeah. But he's, he's not going to get better as a forward. He's not a forward. Were you surprised that he was selected I, in the first place? Because I know Harrison Petty is out yeah. of the size and his season is done. But this whole narrative around Brody Grundy going back to the VFL yeah. to hone his forward craft... <laughs> It's a bit of a furphy, isn't it? Well, it's an absolute furphy. Yeah, it's been a furphy from the absolute start. But that's okay. They have to say that. They're not going to say, look, we think he's done for the year. He's not really going to be an important player for us. They're no. giving him an opportunity, and I don't mind that. So publicly, I get it. But Tom McDonald returns to the VFL today. So if he plays well, it's very hard to see a world where Tom McDonald doesn't come in and Brody Grundy goes out. Or Brody Grundy goes out and someone else comes in. I think it was obvious to give him a go initially, halfway through the week. But I reckon the conditions changed it. Like, when it was greasy and slippery, I thought, just go small. That's not going to work. It's it's hard enough, I would say, for Brody respectfully to play forward when everything's going your way because he's not a forward. And it's a really tough position to play. So when the conditions came, they should have gone small. I think if McDonald can have one or two weeks, they absolutely will go with him depending on Fritch. I don't think he plays finals because he takes away from... Max in the ruck when he takes Max minutes away. And I was surprised they subbed Michael Hibbert last night and not Brody Grundy, given those conditions, Sarah. Stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Plenty more to come. Tom will get out the news whip. <laughs> and up next, it's Essendon star Peter Wright. You're listening to Crunch Time. The Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Over the paint of 50 goes pretty good off the boot. And Peter Wright's into the game. The Bombers have their eight. So Peter Wright already has one in the term. This for two. Pilots it through nicely, and the Bombers have got 10. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. The Bombers, in the end, getting the chocolates over North Melbourne. A nine-point win at Marvel Stadium yesterday. And one of their stars, Peter Wright, has been good enough to join us this morning. Peter, welcome to Crunch Time. G'day. Thanks for having me on. Now, every guest we've had so far today, we've asked them whether or not they've been swept up in Matilda's mania. Have you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. When we got home. From the game last night, I was on the couch watching the penalty shootout. It was, it was great viewing. Very tense. Who'd be the best penalty taker from your team, do you think? <laughs> Who's got the nerves of steel? Um, good question. I think Sammy Draper reckons he's a pretty good soccer player, but <laughs> I'm not sure how he'd go. He'd certainly fit in with that haircut that he's got, Sammy Draper. <laughs> um, hey, Peter, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Tom Morris here. Your win yesterday against North was workmanlike, a bit like the week before. 
but one player who's a friend of our show, because we had him on and we talk about him every single week, and now you're a friend of the show as well, is Kyle Langford. What's it like playing alongside him up forward? He's in some uh, terrific form, and uh, he seems to be getting better by the week. Yeah, he is. He's playing. He's obviously having a great season. Um, been super consistent and feels like he's taken his game to another level in the last six weeks or so. Um, you know, early in the early in the season or in pre-season, we weren't sure exactly where he was even going to be playing. He's obviously a quality player, but he's kind of a victim of his own flexibility and that we didn't know where he was going to be playing. And then to find a spot up forward and um, he's gone from strength to strength. He's Really, a really tough matchup for oppositions, and and can really hurt you on the ground or in the air. So, um, yeah, great teammate to play with, and looking forward to the next few weeks and beyond with him. I'm very interested in how you read the season from a success perspective. If I, if you'd asked me uh, at the start of the year, club. yeah, as a club, if you'd asked me at the start of the year, Essendon will still be in the hunt to play finals with two rounds left and their destiny essentially in their own hands. I would say that's probably uh, a win. Do you see it the same way? Uh, yeah, I think um, we want to be playing finals, no doubt. I think Brad's been really clear with us that uh, what we want to be is, is in the hunt for finals. And, um, you know, there, there really is 12, 13 teams at the moment. They're in the same boat. But we feel like we've made some great inroads in our game and um, we're playing a pretty consistent brand of footy. We've been a little bit up and down of late, but I think we've shown that our best footy is definitely capable against the best teams. And, um, we love the fact that we're in the fight, in the hunt, and if we control our own uh, narrative, we can win the next two and, and hopefully um, play some really good finals footy. So uh, to this point, to be in the hunt, I'd say it's a successful season, but you know, the next few weeks are really unfold and tell the story. Pete, uh, you've won the last two weeks, but I, I think most would think that if you play in a similar manner the next two weeks, you won't win. And your sh- and your chance will be dashed. What are the areas that you need to pick up on uh, going into those games if you are to win those and make the finals? Yeah, the last uh, last couple of weeks have been definitely challenging, and agree that we're not playing um, probably around forty that will stack up against the best sides in the last couple of weeks. It's been it's been challenging for us, but I guess the pleasing thing is that we've we found a way to grind out wins and, and take home the four points. Um, I guess, yeah, from a, where we can improve, I think um, we were quite strong around the ball in, in both games, but how we move the ball forward, I guess a bit of that connection um, can still improve. And on the flip side of that, I guess defence, they tie together, as everyone knows, but how we attack, um, we talk a lot about how we attack, but still being strong behind the ball and, I think we've been a little bit pulled apart at times. So having the right, I guess, pace with how we move forward and, and connect inside 50 and how we're setting up behind that to play a front-half game, which is, is what we want to do and how you win big games of footy. Pete, you've got the Giants uh, next week. They play today. Are you a player that will sit down and have a look at them today? Uh, will you review them strongly during the week? Is it With Brad, is it more about what you do or there's a heavy emphasis on the opposition also? Yeah, I think you got to respect what the opposition are doing. It's probably a, a combination of both. Um, you know, we feel like if we're playing our best football, uh, we can really challenge anyone. But um, you got to understand what what the opposition are good at, and JWS are one of the informed teams in the competition. So um, a great challenge for us, and I, I will probably watch watch them today. Um, we sit on the couch, 
um, ice and everything and, and watching the footy and, and we'll do a fair bit of work through the week to make sure we're really well prepared. Um, we, you know, we don't want to get beaten by what we should know. We want to be really well prepared on, on their strengths and where we feel like we can get an edge and um, hopefully that will mean that we can play our brand of footy for longer. Well, Pete, best of luck for the remaining rounds of the season. Destiny, very much in your hands. Thanks for joining us on Crunch Time. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Essendon star Peter Wright there. I wonder if he gets the matchup next week with Sam Taylor. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Mm. Essendon best and fairest Peter Wright. Amazing to think how much he's improved his footy from his time at the Gold Coast. It's a great story. When he couldn't get a game. Opportunity. Opportunity. Sometimes. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. And now we have an opportunity for the news whip. (laughs) On Crunch Time, the news whip with Tom Morris. Now, Tom, I need something explained to oh. me. There was a delay with the Derby at Optus Stadium. Yep. What happened there? Bizarre stuff. An administration, um, I'm not going to call it an error because I don't think it was anyone's fault, but clearly there was some confusion before the game. I will explain it, but before that, this is what Adam Simpson had to say after the game on that. Um, I'm just going to get technical here. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but um, he's been ill all week. Um, he, he came to the captain's run and trained away from the group, but he's feeling pretty good. Um, just a flu. Um, he has Ventolin, and um, he took too many puffs on game day. And I think there's a level you can go to before it becomes too many. And he was unaware of how many you can take. So I think he merely mentioned it, or the docs just quizzed him on a little bit in the warm-up out on the ground. And it, um, to the docs' credit, they they worked out that if he uh, if he plays, he might be over. So we didn't want to take the risk. So the player is Brady Hoff, who's a West Coast player, an extremely late withdrawal. And Adam Simpson went on to say that he may have had six puffs of his Ventolin, what do you call it, um, puffer. Yeah. And um, and that could have been too many, which is why he had to be withdrawn late. Now, you mean too many from a performance-hancing yes. aspect, hence if he was drug-tested after the game, Correct. he might be over. That w- yeah. that, that's what Adam Simpson was yep. alluding to. And, and Ventolin. Ventolin spray. So clearly there's a threshold. A threshold. Mm. Um, and this is not... Which and, and, and this would be different to what it would be during the week. Yeah. So he'd yep. be allowed to do that before training, but not game day. So Jack Williams was rushing to the side um, before the opening bounce. And uh, I think there was another change as well with, to do with Petrocelli. So um, there's confusion on the bench and the day didn't get much better for West Coast. But it was, uh, yeah, I've never seen that before. But it makes sense if the doctor feels like there's any sort of doubt over whether he will pass a drug test after the game. You have to pull him out, even if it's five seconds before. Different issue, but in light of what's happened the last two or three weeks, uh Caution is to be respected and uh, is the best way forward. Yeah. So it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Some MRO incidents, Tom? Yeah, a couple of MRO incidents to talk about in particular. One is David Cunningham with a dangerous tackle free kick that was um, paid against him. He did tackle the Melbourne player into the ground with force, but both his arms were free. And I think David Cunningham's going to be okay here um, and, and not suspended. There was a report as well in the West Coast Fremantle game, but I don't think that's going to lead to a suspension either. So I think it's been so far a pretty uh, quiet weekend for Michael Christian. Hey, there's still three more games yeah. to come. <laughs> so far, Sarah. <laughs> uh, what about the race for the Richmond coaching job? I think Cal Toomey had a bit of an update yesterday on AFL.com. Our man, our man, Cal a Toomey. A friend of the show. A friend of the show and a very good man is reporting that Josh Carr has withdrawn from the process to be Richmond's next senior coach. And he also suggested that Chris Newman is very much in the hunt. So Carr would prefer to stay at Port Adelaide. Meanwhile, uh, the Chris Newman... I guess, case becomes stronger. But I just want to talk about Josh Carr for a moment, Scotty, because this, to me, has all the hallmarks 
of Sam Mitchell deciding to stay at Hawthorne to take over from Clarko. And if that's the way it plays out, and Ken Hinckley gets two years, and they say Josh Carr's going to take over after that, that is a perfect handover from Koshy's perspective. Nothing better than a job elsewhere to flush out. That's clubs. right. Yeah. yeah. And potentially that's what's happened. Um, the potential problem for that is if Port if there was a promise made and Port go on a run and they're the dominant team, a little bit like Mick Malthouse yep. leaving yeah. Collingwood. That that wasn't smooth sailing, was it? You've got succession. Succession planning is a lot easier when the team is down the average. bottom. Paul Ruse yeah. and Tom Goodwood worked well. Bad average. Yeah. But when they're really good, there's a, a need or a want to look at stability and yeah. maintaining the status quo. So, yeah. yeah, it is interesting. But it's got the all, all the hallmarks of that, doesn't it? But if you're David Kosh and the Port Adelaide board – and you want to avoid sacking Ken Hinckley because you A, think he's a good coach, and B, you don't need the drama, a succession plan is your only other option. And this is what it looks like it could be. And they, Josh Carr is very highly rated yeah. as well. Is it a, sorry, Sarah. There you go. It's incredibly problematic, though, that for whatever reason, if in say Ken signs a two-year yep. deal, um, what happens in two years that Chris Scott's like, best available? You do lock yourself in. You're locking yourself or you're committing to an untried coach when in two years there might be some really quality coaches available that are out or just wanting to seek a different job. Is it a big blow for Richmond? Did they think that Josh Carr was potentially going to be their man? Uh, No, but they wanted him part of the process. I'm not sure they thought he was going to be the number one man. Um, Chris Newman's coming very quickly here. He's so highly rated at Hawthorne. We know he's got a strong history at Richmond. Him and uh, him v Andrew McWalters are very interesting test case because McWalters got some runs on the board with how the Tigers have played this year, but he doesn't necessarily have a walk up start to this job. Um, I, don't, I don't know who else is in the process, by the way. There's been talk of Daniel Jones, Uze, Adam Uze, um, but they're clearly looking for a first time. And Cal's reported this: yeah. a first time senior coach who has coached in their own right somewhere before. Okay. I would have thought McWalters less of a chance to get it by virtue of the fact he's there. Really? Yeah. So that goes against everything that happened with Ratton and St Kilda and Reese Shaw and North Melbourne. Just, but how long have those... David Teague and Carlton? You've just answered my sort of backed up why I think that's the case. How, how did those tenures go? They how successful were they? They didn't go did well work? for various reasons, no. But, but the incumbent that takes over and staying on hasn't worked. Mm. So if you look at history, you're far less inclined to go down that path. Otherwise, you know, you get what has happened before. So I think they'll look outside. Health is wealth at it this is. time of the year, Tom. Some injuries across the weekend. Sam Kerr's calf is fine and <laughs> we hope that she starts on Wednesday night. Oh, we're talking about football, are we? No, that's um, it's the most talked about calf in Australia at the moment, isn't it? It um, is indeed. Jordan DeGoey rolled his ankle on Friday night. Um, Craig McRae said it will be a watch this week. Darcy Moore has a low-grade left hamstring strain. If you've missed that, um, he'll miss the final two rounds of the season and there's clearly that break in between the home and away season and finals. So that three-week gap is a massive win for Darcy Moore, and he's expected to play in the qualifying final for the Pies, and he essentially has a month to get over it. The big injury news from yesterday, and it sort of swept under the carpet because this happened at the same time as the Matildas were defeating um, the French, was Jack Gunston. The Mm. early prognosis is an MCL, which is four to six weeks. He is contracted for next year. But he's going to be hard-pressed to get back this year. Now, Jack Gunston for Brisbane. And the question I have for you, Scotty, is what do the Lions do with their forward line without Jack Gunston? Do they go uh, small? Well, what we've seen them do previously 
uh, is play the two rucks mm. generally. So Fort comes in and him and McInerney alternate between ruck and resting up forward. Uh, something to be said, though, with Rayner having spent a little bit of forward mm. mid back, just settling him down as the hybrid. Yeah, I tend to think they may go that way. Joel Amati, tight hamstring. He's got a history of hamstrings, Sarah. He's going to be managed um, over this week to see he's available, whether he's available for next week, but it doesn't look great. John Longmire was very cautious on this. And that's something conference. that he's going to have to get on top of over the summer, yes. Joel Amati. Oh, that, now that Sarah. had a sting in the tail. That is from well, a passionate swan. He's true. had a string of hamstring issues, hasn't he? It's true. Jai Simkin for North Melbourne has a corked bicep. I've spoken to North. He'll be assessed this week. And Sam Doherty has a corked calf. He was subbed out in the fourth quarter. I think he'll be fit, but can't be 100%. And just some VFL news from yesterday. Aaron Cadman, GWS yeah. pick one, kicked eight Ooh. among 21 disposals he against was... Northern Bullants. Were you there, were you, Scotty? Uh, Mason Cox had 16 disposals and 52 hitouts for Collingwood, although if you ask Jared Healy, hitouts by themselves don't matter. And Sam Matagola, who hasn't played a game this year for Geelong in the seniors, had 25 touches for the Cats in the VFL. Saw a half of each of those games. Yep. Uh, Cox was up against a young cohort from Geelong. Mm. Uh, Cadman looked an absolute class above. I I think that game, albeit against the Bull Ants, who have really struggled, was a really pivotal moment for Cadman yesterday. Oh, you buried the lead, though. The Bullants are getting beaten by 100 points every week, aren't they? Oh, no, they had a good day yesterday. It was just 10 goals. (laughs) 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 All right, stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Plenty more to come. And as we go to the break, let's have a little dabble. It's time to say hey to the social bet with Dabble. Josh Jeans has joined us for a banter and a bet. Go on, have a dabble. You win some, you lose more. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, if you haven't done so, jump on the Dabble app. It is a lot of fun. We've got live streams. We've got banter channels so you can chat to other punters while sports going on or just during the week and during the AFL or in the AFL banter channel. Rather, they were talking about retirement seasons, some of the greats like Trent Cotchen, who's uh, hung it up as well. But from some big names, this is the time of the year. It is, Josh, and um, there's some absolute superstars that retire, and then there's some people that, that no one really knows about that retire. But it is that season. The question for you, Josh, is does everybody deserve a farewell game? Because I'm just going to put a little disclaimer here, because if you're out of the finals race, 100%. But Nathan Jones-esque 300-game player, former captain of the club, they couldn't find a spot for him in that grand final side or that finals series. Club's bigger than the players, 100%. You have to, I mean, as much as I feel sorry for Nathan Jones because he was the only good player at that club for a long, long time and just how it fell, unfortunately. But no, it uh, depends on the player, of course. If it's a team that's at the bottom, then of course, you know, the likes of Shannon Hearn, Shuey, there's no one else to come in and replace them. So they'll be playing, but um, the others, not so much. Yeah, I, I just I just don't know because the services that the play yes clubs are bigger than players but players make up the clubs and some players who are the heart and soul of the club they deserve probably more so if you're going into a grand final Josh Josh yes or no answer on this grand final injury two players outside say there's a 300 game player and a 40 game player 40 game player is probably in better form than the 300 game player would you play the veteran? Or would you play the most informed player? you got to get the premiership at the end of the day, but let's stop talking because I know you just want to loop this back to you somehow about 
not getting a farewell game, but let's focus on the Saints versus the Tigers. Jack Higgins, two plus. I haven't caught him this year, but I've, I've got a feeling the Saints are going to get up at Marvel. Uh, Shy Bolton for 20 plus disposals and fast deck over 149 and a half points. I know we've got the feature of copy bet, Josh, but you've copied me again here. I've got Jack Higgins for two-plus goals. I've got Dusty Martin for 20-plus disposals. And I've gone the under 174.5 points. Don't mind that at all. Of course, you can copy those bets with one click. Just download the Dabble app, follow Crunch Time AFL, and hit the copy bet button. Back to you, Sarah. See trending bets from profiles like Heath Shaw, Dane Swan, The Bev Show, and plenty of others. Get following Crunch Time and have a dabble. Go on, have a dabble. You win some, you lose more. For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. The new spicy, sticky barbecue Angus at Macca's. It's a great day to be hungry. Available after 10.30 a.m. for a limited time. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Let's have a look at the matches today for the TAC. Don't use your phone illegally while driving TAC. It begins in the Apple Isle, Tom. Mm. Tasmania Hawks taking on the Western Bulldogs. And, Scotty, you were saying earlier in the show that you think this is potentially a bit of a danger game for the Dogs. Oh, incredibly uh, tough game for the Dogs, I think. And I, I reckon history says they played there a couple of years ago and Hawthorne, similar sort of realm of the ladder, Hawthorne beat them. Hawthorne have got a great record down there. It'll be a tough win for a tough win for or a tough team game for the Dogs to get over and to win that game. At three twenty p.m., we head to Marvel Stadium. St Kilda taking on Richmond. And since Damien Hardwick said we don't like playing at Marvel Stadium, guess what, Tom? The Tigers haven't won a game there. No, they don't. Uh, they haven't. Sorry, this is Maddie's match as well for Maddie Rewalt's vision. Um, so there's going to be a big sea of purple people in the crowd dressed in. In, in the in the in the colour purple, which is Maddie's favourite colour, um, the Saints need to start playing some better football. Uh, Richmond aren't exactly a genuine threat this year, I don't think, and they haven't proven to be so far. But the Saints still have it within their grasp to play finals, and that has to be their aim. But they haven't really played dominant football since maybe the first quarter against the first quarter against Hawthorne was excellent. But other than that, their past six to eight weeks have been pretty poor. Pretty solid against the Blues last week, though. They got run down. Oh, yeah, they were. They yeah. should have won that game, yeah. though. They yeah, really should have yeah. won that yeah. game. But they just seemed to tighten up. Like, they yeah. really let the game flow early and were good. And then they go into their shells and become conservative, which allows the opposition to work their way back into it. I just think there's more for the Saints to play for today and the Marvel thing. The Maddie's, Marvel Maddie's part. very well division, yeah. Yeah. Round 22, it concludes at Adelaide Oval, Port Adelaide taking on the Giants. This is a big game. I mean, yep. Port Adelaide have lost four in a row. Can you see them losing five? No, I can't see them losing this game because of that. But if they do lose it, then the question has to be asked, how far can they go this year? Yeah, the numbers say they won't lose five in a row, but it's going to be a tough game. The Giants are a tough out. They've actually won six of their past nine at Adelaide Oval. Mm. So they also they? like that ground. They're not going to be intimidated That's by a good it. That's just some VFL scores today. Carlton a 5-4-34 against Casey 2-2-14. Two, two, There's some big names playing in this game, Scotty. Tom McDonald is playing for Melbourne. His first game back from injury. Luke Dunstan's playing. Adam Tomlinson as well. Hmm. 
Charlie Spargo, Charlie Spargo friend too. of the show, played significant senior football. So there's a friend couple of guys show. late in the season <laughs> that are trying to prove their form and get back into the one. That's right. That's been today's games for the TAC. Mobile phone detection cameras are now operating a message from the TAC. And just as we wrap up this round 22 edition of Crunch Time, what is your tip of the day for tyre right with over 25 tyre brands, steer, drive, trailer and more? Typewrite, no truck and worries. Typewrite.com.au. <laughs> I'm so close to stuffing that one up, aren't I? Yeah, come Be on. your tip of the day? Be nice to your mum. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with maybe the Giants to have an upset. <laughs> you, went for, you, you went for some advice, Scotty. Yeah, yeah no, uh, I think the Giants is a good tip. I'm going for Hawthorne down in Tassie over the dogs. That's been the round 22 edition of Sunday Crunch Matildas. Time. Enjoy the footy and go, you mighty Matildas. <laughs>